0: I'm Ren Young, and I'm Katrina Vargas, and And this is That Other F Word. And we're on. All right.
1: Uh, That's so much nicer than when Mitch does it, Katrina. That was like, (laughs) hey, we're going to record now instead of you've been recording.
0: Yeah, Mitch (laughs) will often um, just hit record in the middle of a really inappropriate conversation (laughs) we're having or (laughs) all kinds of stuff, and so... um, so I'm only Mitchless today. We are Mitchless and I am only one notch nicer than Mitch.
1: No, that's, <laughs> <laughs> that's okay because I feel like today we have a lot of like this is gonna be like a heavy feminine energy episode. Um, because we have a very special guest. Um one of the coolest parts about doing this podcast is I feel like it allows us both to reflect on. The myriad wonderful people that life has let us have in our path, life mm-hmm. circle, <laughs> um, and so today we're joined by Ali Coker. Um, Ali and I met in kindergarten. Oh, is that it? Daisy Scouts. <laughs> yeah,
0: that's so cute.
1: And she went on to become a twice published author. Um, her newest book is The Last Resort, um, which was on a table at Barnes and Noble with Roxane Gay's books. (laughs) Just saying you probably haven't had a book published and put on a table in Barnes and Noble with Roxane Gay's books. Have you?
0: Or at Barnes and Noble at all on any table. (laughs) So
1: for those of you who don't know, Roxane Gay is like major, Powerhouse feminist author of things such as Bad Feminist and Hunger. Um Hey Allie. Hi. <laughs> Thanks for having
2: me on the show. Um, I have to I have to say this because it's it I just it cracks me up every time. There's a radio station over over here in Chapel Hill where I am. And you you know how they have like little funny taglines in between the commercials. And they have one that's always like, join us at Barnes and Noble for our book signing. It's from six and whenever they kick us out for ruining all their books. <laughs> so uh, for a while there, I thought that was the only way I'd have a book signing. It's just like randomly write in books that aren't mine. So, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, but thank you for having me on the show. I'm super excited. And,
1: you know, I'm super yeah. excited too. Yeah, me too. yeah. Somebody
2: asked me the other day, they're like, how do you know Ren? I've always known Ren. <laughs> like always. So
1: I've never not known Ren. Right. Yeah, <laughs> how do I, do I not know her? Which is so. great.
0: Yeah. yeah. Cool.
1: Um, so this is super exciting. I like, I'm very excited that you have published another book. Like, thank you. like who gets a book published? That's so freaking cool. How
2: <laughs> <laughs> do tell you? I think that, um, I, I was really excited too, but, um, I'm, I'm really excited as well because I'm an editor and so I get to see some manuscripts come through and there's just a lot of good quality writing out there right now and I'm sure it's really tough but um it makes me excited for like what other books are coming down the pike and some other writer friends as well um just incredible voices so I you'll you'll see a, a lot more of that in the upcoming years but I'm I'm happy I'm happy I'm excited so
0: very cool well, yeah. so we are talking about The Last Resort. Her other book is What I Learned at Davidson. And, um, you know, go to Barnes & Noble and pick those up. And, yeah. um, but before we get into it, Allie, we do have a couple questions we ask all of our guests. Okay. Um, so our first one is, are you a feminist?
2: Yes. Am I a good feminist? No, not yet. <laughs> but I think that I uh, like largely identify as being a feminist, though. What does important. that mean, you're
1: not a good feminist?
2: Um, I've been thinking a lot about that topic lately, and I've almost come to the conclusion that there are probably very few people that are good feminists, because um, if you're looking from, like, a perfection standpoint, um, because if I do something that's indirectly damaging to, to a woman um, and somebody else does something indirectly damaging to a woman, you know, it depends on on the societal view of that but um but I just think it's it's hard right anytime we judge another woman or we, we think thoughts about another woman or have preconceived notions all of that kind of like adds into it so well, I guess I'm saying I want to become a better feminist
1: and um it sounds and- like what you're saying is you're a human
0: yeah <laughs> <laughs> yes no we don't believe too much in bad feminists other than like kind of the ones that give us a bad name because they're, they're like the right, yes. men feminists. Um, but mm-hmm. still, and, um, that was a very, I can see why you and Ren have been friends for the better part of several decades. Ever. Um, yes. <laughs> We're so old now. It's so love Yes. Yes, it, yes, you are. Um, sorry, girls younger than me though, by a lot, but <laughs> you know, that was a very, of course that I'm going to bring this back up because it's something that touched in my book but it was that was a very caring and lovely response of course we all are I think always trying to be better or at least we should all be better trying to be better in all aspects right um but I do like what you said because you're talking about you know just doing better and not and working toward not being disparaging or Mm kind of ugly toward other women since we fight that all the time right right it's a bit this is a common theme for us Right, Ren? I mean,
1: and sometimes other women suck, just like sometimes
0: Everybody yeah, yeah. sucks. Not, we don't yeah. hate them because they're a woman. We just hate them because they're shitty. Exactly. Or, or yeah. whatever it is. <clears throat> so, yes. okay. So, Ren.
1: So, what do you think about feminism?
2: Um, before I answer that, I feel like you nail know, polish. Oh, thank you. You went like that. <laughs> and I was like, oh, um, I think there's room for fun nail polish in feminism. Absolutely.
0: We um, <laughs> have some too.
2: So, what do I think about it just in general? Mm-hmm. I think that, I think it's gaining some traction among uh, the popular masses, which I really like because I know for a few years, and I talk about this a lot with like, my family and friends um, for a few years, you saw a slew of celebrities. So of course their voices are being heard more widely who very much did not want to identify themselves with the word, which is why I love the title of your podcast. Right. Um, and it was a lot because it was people that you absolutely would think of as feminists like Lady Gaga or whoever it may be. Um, but now I think people are kind of recognizing just what you all said, that feminists don't hate all men. And it doesn't mean that it doesn't even mean that we want more or special privilege. It's supposed to be that we want equal rights, equal everything else. Um, so I think that I think that it's nice to see society kind of taking hold of that. Um, I definitely try to trying to, I, I may have come from a place at one point where I was a man-hater, if I'm being completely honest. <laughs> sure. It took me a few years it did, in between college and the real world um, to kind of shed that. And that was only through like meeting some really exceptional men and realizing that all people in general are equal regardless. Um, so yes, yeah, so I, I just think it's really important and I think it's easy whether it be like feminism or um, activism around racial inequality. I think it's very easy to be like, oh yeah, that started in the sixties, but it's still an issue today. Like as long as you have humans on this planet and you're gonna have something worth fighting for, I think. But
0: yeah, it's, so it's kind of important, so. I love that. Rin, you have to ask for the next one. Cause I want to ask for the last one. Okay.
1: <laughs> Who do you think of when you think of them? Uh,
2: the first person that came to mind just now when you said that was uh, RBG, of course so um a a yeah that's, that's the first person that came to mind um but also too I think of my mom a lot um and in that vein I think like people that are have similar lives to her as well right so she has been um she's been a mom she's been a caretaker she's um been a battered wife unfortunately from a previous marriage she she's always she's been independent uh since she was like 18 and I think that she's a very strong woman um not just because she was able to like manage to get through those things but she's come out the other side of it still being like just as generous and just as loving and kind and that always amazes me um so I think that that's that's kind of the the feminist side of everyday woman as well. Right. Um, because I think when you ask that question, I don't know how many people think about stay at home moms and this and that, but I think that that makes up a large portion of of, a feminist as well.
1: So do you think she would identify as a feminist?
2: I think she would. I think she would. I don't think she's big on labels, but she absolutely would, um, say, yep, I agree with all these tenants, Right. I feel like Um, I could see your
1: mom going either way yeah like yeah I don't want to be called anything (laughs) yeah yeah she's really funny we
0: we really do a lot of women who are like well I have all those ideals I don't want to be either associated with the name or I just don't want to call it something or Mm -hmm. I believe in all the ideals I mean Shane is a feminist he just won't say that word right um right absolutely one so yeah you know my mom is intensely private so um so I think
2: like I saw something once it was like uh, I don't have any pronouns because I don't want you to refer to me at all. Like, I so, <laughs> like I want to be left out of it. And that's kind of how she is. Um, she's intensely private. So yeah. I think that, um, she may not be quick to like label herself, but she absolutely believes oh. in all, all, um, the basic tenets of that and also lives them out and is cheerleading for, you know, the women that she does know. Oh. Um, but that. yeah, that's, that's a good point. Yeah. But I, and I do, you know, you mentioned, um, I'm someone named Shane, but I was going to say that I do feel like it would help the cause and nothing else. If we had more, um, people who identify as men or male, uh, promoting feminism and calling themselves feminists, of course, the actions have to like be in line too, right? Otherwise it gets a little murky, but, um, but yeah, I think, I think that can only help the more people who are feminists, the better
0: we yeah we we do rather we would rather if we had a choice we'd rather you act like a feminist than call yourself a feminist um right and so we'll get you to the word eventually but at least your but your actions you know we're action people so actions speak a hell of a lot louder so yeah okay the last question and the reason why i wanted to ask is because Rin is too nice about it i'm (laughs) i'm not and so um if the first answer is going to get you in trouble or fired then you can give okay. us your second one but you can't go beyond second so if you're googling a whole bunch of crazy stuff then this is on you what's the last thing you googled oh <laughs> that's a great question it will um, be like no but you can just like scroll to your history for the last month and find uh, the most lovely no I the want- last thing i googled i'm looking phone-
2: at my phone right now 30 i want it all Um, the very last thing I Googled was the meaning of itinerant, because there was some debate about what that meant and how it was
0: used. Uh, I know that's a nerd answer, but awesome answer. What (laughs) what, what is, what does it mean? And let's get into that a little
2: bit. Yeah. So it's supposed to mean traveling from place to place, I guess. Okay. Um, or, or a person that travels from place to place. So,
0: um, was looking at that. did you feel like it had been used like improperly or yes
2: I was speaking with my friend and they used the term itinerant lovers and I was like that doesn't sound right and so but I wasn't sure right so we looked it up and I thought and then there was this whole discussion of I suppose you could be an itinerant lover but um but now we know the true usage of that so that was the very last thing I was like right before the podcast. And then before that was Oscar nominees, 2021. So (laughs) I've been, yeah, I've been watching uh, the Oscar nominees. Like it's my job, which I wish it was,
0: but it's not. So (laughs) yeah. Oh my gosh, that's amazing.
1: I mean, I think it's very fitting for an author to like have like, I'm gonna correct your use of words. It's true,
2: It's true, right. And it was only like, I try not to be that person um, but it was like my my best friend. So it kind of makes sense. (laughs) But, but yeah, I I do Google a lot of words, I think so, but I love that question that you guys asked that of everyone, because I always think that you can learn the most, um, about a person. If you ask about their Google history, Mm -hmm. if you know what's in their trash can at the end of a day,
0: um, or their bookshelf sometimes, it just depends, but. Well, we're in East Tennessee in the spring. So everybody's trash cans full of tissues Yeah. (laughs) and like, yeah poppy tat pop thing, yeah. you know, like the pill pocket.
2: <laughs> I had not gone out of the house for a couple of days this week. Um, I just didn't. And then I went out on probably like Thursday to check the mail and I said, Oh, the whole world is yellow and nobody told me. Yeah. So, <laughs> so yeah, I believe that.
0: Yeah. For those of you listening uh, the where, where Allie is and where we are right now, there is a very thick coat of yellow covering everything outside Um, the pollen is in full force it is a real thing if at any point any of us start sniffling coughing or sneezing you'll know why so um, but yeah I know that it's that way over there at Chapel Hill too so um, okay well Ren, you want to kick us off with our content with Allie yeah so we're
1: going to talk about ideas that are kind of um, embodied in Allie's book and so the last resort is A mental health facility, right? Yeah. So we're going to talk about mental health, but also talk about the idea of normal, which is Mm -hmm. kind of a through line in your book. And I thought like a really cool concept and like marrying those two ideas and in the book was really, was really great. So do you kind of want to maybe just start off like, and like tell people kind of a little bit about the book?
2: Sure, sure. So, um, as Ren mentioned, it is set in a modern day mental hospital, um, with inpatients and, um, there are lots of different voices in the book. So one piece of feedback I've gotten is some people, when they read, they really want to be able to match up the characters. So they struggle. And then some people, um, don't that they don't mind not matching them up. So they understand it's more like a chorus. Um, um, but yeah, so it's, it's kind of told from the perspectives of, of mental health workers inside the hospital, as well as the patients, as well as, um, you know, cops or other authorities that may be involved. Um, so I, I kind of came to this idea that it was a really important story to tell, because there's so many people that struggle with mental health. And I think that Uh, I've said this once before, but I think that even though it may make for good entertainment on TV, you get a lot of stayed images because we keep going back to the 50s and the 60s and the snake pit era and all of these things. Um, And so nobody really gets a a firm idea of what it was like now to be in a mental hospital. Um, so, so yeah, that, that was kind of the basis for it, I guess.
1: Where did the idea come from?
2: So that's a great question. So (laughs) I always try to think of the most succinct way to tell that I think, I think it came from, so I had, after I published what I learned at Davidson that was in 2012, after that got published, I fumbled around with lots of different topics and did research and tried, you know, and I I started projects and nothing really stuck. And then, um, you know, through conversations I'd had with other people, what was going on in my life, this idea came to me. And so I noticed that it really stuck and I was like, okay, this is something to work on. So I started working on it in 2017, I want to say, um, but yes. So I have a DSM five, which is diagnostic manual for mental illnesses. And uh, I haven't read through it yet, but I'm, I'm trying to get there. And fun fact, when you go to buy it at Barnes and Noble, cause anyone can buy it, they keep it behind the desk because it's that expensive i guess and so they usually have you know professionals or students that are studying that come in and buy it but anyway so i have this dsm 5 most up to date one it's supposed to you know have all the categories and explain all the illnesses and as i was reading through some of it i was like oh yeah i know someone that has that or oh yeah you know i've talked to a person that had that and so i started this idea of like putting the pictures of the people i knew on those pages to kind of give a face to mental health because it's not just black and white on paper these are people's lives right and I myself struggle with um depression and anxiety more depression than anxiety but yeah, <laughs> yeah so yeah um and so and so I I thought you know this would be this would be nice to kind of give a voice to people that don't get to tell their story a whole lot or that choose not to tell their story because there's shame and stigma to, um, and so that's kind of where this book came from. And, you know, like I said, some of my, my friends have been inpatients, but then some of them have been the mental health workers as well. So you kind of get both of those. Um, but yeah, I, I just had a really rough week and I was trying to decide, I was like, why am I so weepy this week? And then I realized I was like, I haven't taken my antidepressants. That's why <laughs> just for the week. But, um, and that kind of led to an interesting conversation with a friend about, um, I said, you know, you know, they really should probably be called painkillers just like ibuprofen and, but we don't, we call them antidepressants. Right. And so we kind of talked around that, why that is, um, because it's still targeted pain. It's, you know, it's still chemically targeting something and it is supposed to be a reliever over time. Um, so that was something I thought too, and in, in the terms of like, what's normal, what's not because everyone takes painkillers. But then we have that very specific nomenclature for antidepressants.
1: Well, I think so. One thing that's interesting is in the book a lot is the idea of normal people versus the people who are in the facility. Mm -hmm. But I was actually thinking additionally, there's normal mental health issues because I think more so now, I mean, it's still an issue, but I think depression and anxiety are a little more mainstream, mm-hmm. right? But their mental health issues, just like all the other things, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but they're kind of okay, right? Like right. they're, right. I mean, even though they're not and they're still things that people really struggle and wrestle with, they're a little more socially acceptable mm-hmm. and in a different category than more serious or yes. mental health issues. Right. Um, and so then, you know, there's like normal people, here's these people, and then here's these people. Yes.
2: Yeah, that's true. There's definitely a hierarchy, like a perceived hierarchy. And I think that might be because not only, like you said, like more people experience depression and anxiety by the number, but also because everybody knows what it feels like to, feels like to be really, really sad, even if they're not, you know, diagnosable or really, really anxious, but they not all people have like heard voices in their head or see things that aren't there or um, disassociate from reality. So that's a really good point. There's, there's definitely uh, a normal, and then, you know, more normal, less normal, there's, it still exists even within that population. Yeah.
0: Well, yeah. well, some of it's still, because we're still working through stigmas and, and like the other generations who really weren't allowed to have mental health problems. Right. I mean, right. Under, you know, our, my parents, they, they were not allowed to have a mental right. problem. Yeah. I mean, I know that that sounds ridiculous, but I, I. <laughs> they didn't have the money to have it right The time to have it they didn't have the parents mm-hmm. that would support it mm-hmm. um and so and then that trickles down and we're still working through like where our parents are finally going hey mental health is a thing we weren't it wasn't addressed in our right. generation but your generation should be able to and and should have it and then we're like hey we need this we need this and then it's it's getting better and everything but you know mm-hmm. you didn't you just it was it was stigmatized it wasn't understood right it was stigmatized because it wasn't understood and we didn't know and we just put people in a in a place and made them go away because it's very taboo Um, yeah they're over there and that's a safe place and the
2: interesting thing about that is that um the reaction to it doesn't make sense right they'd be like oh they're just eccentric nope that's not what that is so (laughs) like that's crazier than having a, you know, to uh, knowing what it is and just telling people. Um, and I think about that a lot too, because I've had a lot of people uh, just interested over the years that are way left. And because I want them to feel safe, accepted and feel like I'm listening and, and all that. I, I hmm? Oh yeah. Okay. I understand. Which is not a normal reaction of what they're telling me. <laughs> like really the normal reaction is, wow, what? You know what yes. I mean? And so, and so I realized I'm like, I don't know who sounds crazier in that moment, the person unburdening all this chaotic um, life experience or me trying to like over, an overly normal reaction. It's kind of, it's that whole, I think there's a term for it, but it's that whole thing. Like if you're in a room and a glass shatters and you don't look at it, it makes you odd. Like you're supposed, <laughs> to, you're supposed to react to that. Otherwise it's suspicious or, or you're just, you know, Not
0: picking up on the cues i guess so (laughs) (laughs) well i will say um real quick i did you know you this i don't know that you put a trigger warning at the beginning of your book yes i am a kind of generation above you guys in a weird way and the whole trigger thing is very it's like kind of a millennial concept right um, mm-hmm. It's a younger person concept where we're kind of going to go back to what I was just talking about, where we're like, hey, you know what? Everybody has some shit. Like, get over it, figure it out. You know, this did need it. The way you did it and the way you put it, I-, I do sometimes like roll my eyes and I'm like, come on. You get triggered by trigger warnings? Kinda. You know, <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> that's fair. <laughs> That's fair that we got like submitted to as children, the things we had to read in school, like were all trigger, right?
2: Mm -hmm. Mm
0: -hmm. But I will say it does need it. What you're talking about is sensitive and your trigger warning. The first, you know, it's the first thing I read in your book. And I thought that was, I find it pandering a lot. Also, when I see trigger warnings, I'm like, oh, come on, Mm -hmm. you're such an ass. You know, you're doing (laughs) this just literally to pander. Well, I yours and my, my reaction was distinctly opposite. I mean, I read it and I'm like, that is, I thought your trigger warning paragraph was the kindest from the most caring, true point. And so I knew that then your book was coming really from a point of caring and, you know, love because just simply from that very first page, I just thought to myself, I, that was the most caring, lovely way to put a trigger warning. And it meant it meant something, right? It wasn't a pandering trigger. It was a, hey, this is right. tough. And I'm sure you had a tough time writing some of this. And, you know, I could only imagine. And I, I just I just wanted to kind of point that out and say, you know, it it is, it is, they are necessary. And I think it's an it's another one of those things that can be done right. And I think you did a really mm-hmm a really right job at it. And so thank you.
2: So thank really- you. I really appreciate that. Um, it really
0: looked, it, it really just sounded yeah. like you were like, Hey, I felt these things. You mm-hmm. may feel these things and hey, just, you know, mm-hmm. don't mm-hmm. read beyond this. If this is going to be, a right.
2: I really appreciate that. Thank you. Um, yeah. What's interesting is, um, I'm looking at it now is that I didn't, when I wrote the book, I didn't actually think about putting a trigger warning because I am not someone who's, I read a lot, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And I watch a lot of tough movies as well. And I'm not someone who, I I mean, you know, I'll have memories or emotions associated Mm -hmm. with it, but I wouldn't necessarily call it triggered for myself. Mm -hmm. And so it didn't occur to me to put a trigger warning and the publisher informed me, they were like, oh, you can think about maybe putting one because it's um, becoming more and more common in publishing. And I thought it was an excellent idea because, um, you know, there's that concept of treat others the way you want to be treated. But I heard something a while ago that's really stuck with me, which is no treat others the way they want to be treated. And to me, I thought, okay, so this just, cause it's not a problem for me and I didn't think about it doesn't mean it's not going to be a problem for someone else. Um, so yeah, so we kind of kind of went over, not just the bullet points, but I, I had already written that paragraph about, um, you know, mental health and illness not being a monolithic experience, because I think that a lot of time and energy is very sadly wasted and, and generates a lot of negative emotion from people comparing each other, like sorrows and circumstances, and also um, kind of discounting others just because that wasn't their experience. And I well, think that's, that's the,
0: always sad. Yeah, That does happen. And Rin is the one who was the first person to ever say stuff like this in my presence and to me and to other people, and said, you know, it's not a competition.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. My
0: experience, as bad as it is, doesn't have to outbeat your bad experience. Right. Um, right. And just because you don't think what happened to me is a thing doesn't mean it's not a thing for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and and we we really are very quick to say, well, I gave birth, you know, it took me 12 hours to birth. Well, it took right. me 24 hours. You know, it's the old school. Like if you start thinking about what you're saying and how you're saying it, it's like when our parents used to say, I used to walk uphill both ways yeah. to the in the snow and you're like, bro, yeah. you can yeah. walk uphill in two directions and it doesn't snow in Miami. So this story doesn't check out. No. Um,
2: yeah. Randall, you know, Randall appreciate this. Um, is that, so I was very ill as a kid, um, so it was funny because I missed like tons of school and all this stuff and had to do treatment. And uh, I used to have not Ren, Ren was one of the good ones, but I used to have some kids and they were like, oh, you get to, you get to school. That's so unfair. You're so lucky. And I was like, let me tell you how unfair it is. <laughs> You know what I mean? Because, or they'd find out that I never had glasses. I never had braces. I didn't have allergies to like foods, which I am fortunate I, I think, but they'd be like, that's just so unfair. And I'm like, yeah, it is unfair. You're right.
0: Um, I was only so I think, a I think it's terminal all- type film potentially. Yeah. I
2: think it's, <laughs> I think it's all relative. You know what I mean? Um,
0: <laughs> so, so
2: yes. And, and there are, I'm playing with some ideas right now for writing an essay on like relative empathy. Um, and I am obsessed, obsessed with Hamilton. There's a Hamilton quote for everything, like yes, always. Yes. And um, that, that song that really moves me, um, they all, it all really moves me, but was when Burr realizes at the end, right? He's like, there was, the world was wide enough for both of us. And I think that that's what I wanna focus on if I write that essay is how the world is wide enough for everyone's sorrows. We don't have to like compare each other's pain. We can just allow it to be and kind of be in it together which I think is more healthy, but I think it's also just a naturally hard thing to do because as humans, uh, we
0: evaluate our, our worth by comparing. Well, well, yeah, I, I agree. And
1: well, especially, so I think in this time of like kind of social reckoning, right? Like, yes, you know, compare, like, you know, especially like women versus men of color, Mm -hmm. for some reason that comes up a lot. And like, what a pointless, right. Exercise. Right. Like, Comparative Like we're so much stronger. I think if we say like, Oh, like, boy, this sucks for you.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: No, it's true. true. Um, right. And I we think part that. of the reason why we haven't gotten further than we have is because we're also focused on the pain we feel instead of this collective pain. Mm-hmm. And how do we like shift to another way of being together? Mm-hmm.
0: Well, we're Get very, right. much not a, I mean, most people don't act like a team, like basically what you're mm-hmm. saying, you know, it's, 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 I'm a, I'm a, I'm a single unit, nothing yep. else exists outside yeah, of every, every man Obama. for himself. Yeah. And it's like, that's fine, but I'm not going to be here to support like the universe revolving around you. Mm-hmm. You're not the only person these things are happening to. Um, you're not the only person that struggles or has their problems and but so many people think they really do. Instead of thinking collectively, we do. We're very self-centered as much as we're like, oh yeah, we're a big, you know, this is the United States. We're still like, we're, we're individual units. We are not a a collective at all. And so, you know. Mm -hmm.
1: So Ali, was there anything like specific to feminism that you kind of confronted when you were researching the book about mental health?
2: That's a good question. Um, I don't know that it made it into the book. Like, I don't know, I obviously the people that can tell me better if any of that made it through to the book, but I actually was very focused on keeping the book almost gender neutral. Like if I could, um, and everything neutral actually, because I wanted people to realize it could happen to anyone, anywhere, anytime. Um, but there were definitely things that I thought about, like I was reading somewhere about, um, health and how when a woman has like a mini heart attack or something not only is the doctor more likely to write it off as just being worked up and stress, but the woman is as well even though she's the one experiencing it um and so i kind of thought about that in the same way of you know mental illness or as it used to be known insanity um and the hysterical woman right and all that comes with that and what that picture looks like um and I think as cruel as the history of mental health is and how we've tried to treat that in the past, it was especially cruel towards women because um, your husband or brother or father, or whoever could stick you in there pretty much for any reason. Um, and I think that that was, that was definitely an imbalance of power, obviously. Um, but, but yeah, I think feminism wise, I think it was just more about comparing the different experiences, but kind of realizing that everybody has the same, the same basic problems when it comes to mental health. Yeah. That was a really slow sentence. I was like, I don't know where I'm going
0: with this. Um, no, no, it's okay. Yeah. We, we were just talking, we were talking about something like this, you know, before this, this is a recurring theme here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we do talk about mm-hmm. how we kind of get pegged with certain things when we do it, but when men right. do the same thing, it's not oh yeah called the same thing or oh yeah are accused of things more than men and mm-hmm. well when
1: when a man is acting crazy versus a woman for a woman it's an internal thing, right? And for a man it's an external thing. But like yes. something happened to make him have that situation. Right. A clean said to me this morning, I'm hormonal and it's early. So that's why we were having a heated conversation. Yeah. We yeah because of him. Right
2: yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> um yeah that's it's very true
0: yeah. yeah
1: and and you know I'm sure like back in the 50s it's because women were crazy it's not because they were suffering postpartum depression while being forced right. to like, take care of three children in vacuum
2: right and that's then you at. have the overlapping like intersectionality right because they would put you in there or you could commit yourself um to cure like lesbianism and things like that, that don't really have anything to do with mental health. But at the time, you
0: know, if you did not fit in that normal um, category, it, well, you're and, anything. And I don't know that. I don't know if everybody really kind of knows that. But yeah, men, remember, held dominion over women. And so, like you said, I mean, I, I go back to what you said is, you know, your husband, your brother, your father, your uncle, your preacher, they could have you put in a mental institution mm-hmm. because- you know, you were having a bad day. You right. know, we, we exactly at this we burned women because they were witches, you know, all these things. And that's yeah. like maybe she just was tired of the men in her life.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It started with Eve and it just kept going. Yeah. She's <laughs> like, you know, I, I say I say that all the time. I'm like, one woman got one man to eat one piece of fruit. And then it was all downhill from there. So um,
0: you I know, but I think fun. the yeah, like, my response to that is if he had been a better hunter maybe they wouldn't have had yeah. just, you know.
1: <laughs> there you go right yeah, yeah no but want i want uh... to eat some produce like maybe right?
2: I... like just eat your fruits and veggies that's fine put the
1: cheetos line, down <laughs> but um yeah in,
2: in thinking about that question of like what's normal though um because i'm constantly trying to observe and critique and society you know what's made as normal actually as a kid I wish I still had the list as a kid I used to make this list of things that were everyday uses that I thought were crazy so like toothpaste was on there because obviously if you're using something that if you swallow too much of it you have to call poison control that's weird um or just just all these different ideas right or like the big um blow dryer heat heat things for your hair. I was like you're you're sticking your whole head in there. It's just odd. So, but but people don't look at that, that things that way a lot of the time, right? We're just used to what we're used to and we don't we don't question things very often either. Mm-hmm. We're like, oh yeah, that makes sense. Um, but I was thinking about like there's just so much right now. There's you know the stay-at-home moms versus the working moms and there's um the just the topics of interest you know I had one guy tell me once because he was writing a history piece he's like well you wouldn't be interested in reading it because there, you know history can't be an interest for women obviously in his world <laughs> so I think that there's a lot of normalcy the shaving versus non-shaving you know there's there's still that normal point of view of what we're supposed to be doing in particular as women um, and Bren mentioned you know women and and black men and things like that. And I think that one thing that everyone has in common, if you're not a like straight, cis white male from a middle-class family, like one thing that everyone else has in common um, in, in that I've certainly heard about my heritage because I'm half white and then half Hispanic is that um, there's this pressure to be twice as good. Like you have to prove yourself yes. twice as much. Okay. Um, and I know women definitely feel that.
0: Cool. Yeah. Yeah, you were talking about normal. Ren had a, I think you were talking about the, you know, what we call normal and what we.
1: Well, Allie, I'm going to say this with, I'm saying it as praise and with love. I don't think you have ever been normal.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I'm accused of a lot of things. That's not one of them. (laughs) Normal.
1: I was like thinking back over like, you know, middle school and elementary school and like, I, you know. I didn't grow up in a family where being normal was like prized. Like, I mean, Mm -hmm. especially with my dad, you know, my dad was like old hippie video games and acoustic. Yeah. He was awesome.
0: Yeah. He was a total weirdo, like in (laughs) the best way. Yeah. Cool. The coolest weirdo ever. Yeah.
1: And that's how I was brought up. But I think like you even, like there is like a natural thing, I think in kids where like you want to be normal. Right. Mm -hmm. I think you missed that. And I think that that is so cool.
0: It's not normal. <laughs> she's exceptional.
1: If Thank my you. Kid, if my kid could be like that, like, I, I mean, not because of this, like, interview or anything. Like, I have thought, like, since before he was born that that's something that I want. Mm-hmm. I don't want him to feel like he has to be like everybody else. Right, right. Um, and I think that's such a beautiful thing. And it's almost like a superpower. It is. But I mean, <laughs> it is. It really, really it is. Like, I mean, I remember, like, being in the cafeteria in middle school and you just like singing and stuff. And I I feel like I was looking around, like, I don't, nobody else is singing, Allie. (laughs) (laughs)
0: How did you feel, Rin, Were at that moment, are you embarrassed by Allie? Are you like, I wish I could be Allie or? or... It's okay. (laughs) I wouldn't wouldn't say
1: I was embarrassed, but I was more like, what if like the cool kids see. us? Like why, yeah,
2: you know, yeah. no I uh thank you for that unusual compliment um I think that because this is something I've had a long to think about I think that you're right I think I missed it and I think um the reason I think there are two things one you know we hit the planet with our own nature a lot of times and the times that I do feel like it's a superpower are when um like I've never in my life felt peer pressure and that doesn't mean that I wasn't I don't know maybe I was lucky and I was never subjected to it, but I'm I'm guessing that I was and I just didn't pick up on it because to me like I know what I'm gonna do I know what I'm not gonna do I don't really care if that's the norm and that's just how it is. No
1: I um, observed people <laughs> trying to peer pressure you oh okay
2: well there you go. You gave, so you gave no fucks. Yeah. Ungiven <laughs> 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 ungiven um- <laughs> um- right no um and I think too that um the other thing is you know for because everyone doesn't know um Ren lived through it both times. So thank you, Ren, for being a good friend always. But, um, so yeah, so I had leukemia as a child twice, um, one from age five, to age seven, and then the second time from age 11 to 18. And yeah, that that's a whole nother topic. But what's interesting is those times in your life are obviously times that are really like you're forming your personality. And, you know, ones in middle school, you're, you're learning how that you want to be a little independent and fit in or be normal perhaps. And, uh, and things like that. And because I started that journey when I was five, I don't think I ever had a clear idea of what normal was. Mm -hmm. Um, and I also think that it drove me to want to collect and meet and love and care for people that were considered outcasts in any way. Um, I never wanted them to feel different or not included or, um, I made, I made, I made some work friends. Right. And then we would get new people in and I'd like invite them to stuff. And I got in trouble for being too inclusive. (laughs) That's what I was told. You're too inclusive. Um, so, but that's how it goes because like I said, I think, I think I just took that role from when I was real small and used it as wanting to have this merry band of misfits. And, um, and kind of seek some some power in that. So um, so yeah, I think I think you're right. I think overall, there have definitely been moments that I wanted to be, desperately wanted to be normal or like all the other kids, um, but it, it wasn't gonna happen. So, <laughs> but I'm glad that for the most part, um, instead of being alienating, that the people that I've known the longest or were observing me found that to be uh, quirky and like <laughs> somewhat endearing versus,
0: You're just pissing me off. So, you know, (laughs) so thanks for that. You were born to be exceptional is what I mean. (laughs) That's that's fine.
1: (sighs) Yeah. Well, I think it has to be kind of freeing, right? It's
2: yes, it's very freeing. Um, And that doesn't mean, I mean, obviously I still care about what people think. I obviously still really, really struggle with the sense of like self-worth because I know what my self-worth is and I can't get society to agree with me, I start to believe it. Um, and that's really tough, you know, for, for all women and all people, but, um, but it is really freeing. And like, once you, there might be fear around making those decisions. And then once I've done them, because it's what I wanted to do or needed felt I needed to do, I feel better. Right. Um, so I think that if you're your own lighthouse and guide kind of, um, you're going to get through the world at least not easier, but like with a stronger conviction, I think. Um, so yeah, it is pretty freeing. Ben Folds has a really good song. Um, There's Always Someone Cooler Than You. Great song. And it's uh, about, like, I just didn't care
0: anymore. <laughs> yeah. Always someone Big cooler. Big Ben Folds fan. There's yeah. always yeah. smarter. There's mm-hmm. always something, something, you know? Right, exactly. Fine, yeah. we're all fine. Yeah. I do think,
1: like, I guess we need to and maybe you as a published author can weigh in on this, but um, we, I guess we need to be more mindful about the way we use words like normal and weird because I was thinking, so I call the kiddo, I call him a weirdy all the time when he does something weird. For instance, like he is obsessed with eHarmony commercials. So if he's (laughs) playing, an eHarmony commercial comes on, he stops everything. so
0: funny. (laughs) Romantic, I love it.
1: I think he, I think he, the music he's a big like little music lover oh and that song just gets him uh every time good but it's fine not good so (laughs) but I also feel like I would use the word weird to describe like if I was in public and someone did something that made me feel uncomfortable
0: Mm
1: -hmm. right Mm um yeah you do also I would use normal in both ways too like I would I would be like oh that's normal we don't need to be like that kid right We don't need to be like that but I'd also be like, once again, if someone did something that made me uncomfortable, I'd be like, just, it wasn't normal. Right. I, like, I don't know how to fix that because I do want to celebrate weirdness, but there there is like a- line, Right, there is a weirdness that isn't good. <laughs> right.
2: right, no, that's true. And it's interesting because there's also performative weirdness. So like, you know, keep Austin weird. Okay, great. And and or or you'll see things and it's like oh are they really attractive or are you blinded by like the masses of tattoos and colored hair and piercings and, like all these things because some people really go out of their way to um because. to yeah to to appear one way and but but what you have to understand is like you have to think about where that's coming from too um so yeah that's a good question though regarding the how you use those words it's not as easy as like Getting, no. rid of la- getting rid of lame or getting rid of, you know, things like
0: That's that. That's right. And so I, I do have some very close friends of mine who are dealing with some mental illness and in their family. And I've become very aware of saying the word crazy or insane, um, where I, you know, I just said it like any other word, you know, there was upside right. behind right. it, but then I don't want to minimize it. I don't want to make it sound like something that's undesirable. Mm-hmm. And, and it, it just, the other, it was, it just happened the other day and it might've been because I had read your book and I don't, I don't know what it was, but I thought I really, I really should stop saying mm-hmm. certain things because yeah. even though I'm not meaning to be, I could be an inten- I, unintentionally hurting someone, you know, right, right. With- even though it sound it's just a word right but right. we've also talked about this on the podcast words have meaning and sometimes mm-hmm. they're just words and sometimes we just don't need to say certain things <laughs> and you know and it, it was just like a you know saying things reading this your book really did i think make me say maybe the word crazy yeah said we shouldn't yep. say you're gonna take me uh, you're driving me to the nut house i mean just I right know, right um, it's all part it's of that epsicon yeah right and it's like i'm and i'm not one to pander but mm-hmm. i'm also not one to intentionally harm anybody just with flippant speech either you know just right. something because i can and mm-hmm. it can unintentionally be really harmful and so um I think probably we could be better about saying things and if we say them they should really be used in the proper context
2: (laughs) yeah no i think that's good i think it's good to have that awareness and obviously like it's hard it's very hard um with some things more than others but but yeah words are are different you know i mean anybody you know you go to work and they're like you look really pretty today today what does that mean (laughs) so like or um you know Mark Twain's got a good one he said the difference between the right word and the almost right word is like the difference between lightning and lightning bug and um so I think that goes for uses as well um it's since it is a hard thing to get out of because the term crazy in particular right um I've noticed my family and and myself included will try to you know, if it's in a negative way, well, that lady was just crazy. We'll tack on like, no, because that's an insult to crazy people. Now we're using, we're still using crazy people, but it's kind of like reclaiming the pejorative, you know? Um, But again, it's nice to just be aware and also know your audience, because if we're like, it's an insult to crazy people, but I'm with people that struggle and understand and feel okay with that. That's one thing, but I wouldn't, um, I wouldn't want to do, like you said, I wouldn't want to unintentionally make somebody feel really terrible if they've got history I don't know about, or yeah. I know about it, but I don't know them well. So I think that that's, I think it's very noble on your part to
1: like try to yeah. turn yeah. that around.
0: We're all in unintentionally gonna harm somebody. And then when we find out we do, we you know then we go in a point. Mm-hmm. I mean, well, right? you know,
1: one thing I think about you is you don't really regard anybody as the other, I think.
0: I try not to, thank you. Yeah, I don't yes, feel like yeah. you do. Yeah. Um,
1: and so I think that makes it easier to be empathetic you know, we can't, I think the biggest takeaway from your book is we have to stop thinking of someone who has a mental illness as like over there. <laughs> right. 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 Like anybody so with true. any mental health issue is not the other. They're just yeah, like you.
2: <laughs> and there are so many people, so many people that don't have a mental illness or mental health issue at all that do and say incredibly bizarre
0: things. Well, um, that really you know, impacts people where they just haven't been diagnosed. Um, I right, think right, I, I think of things like mental illness and everything, like I think of um, poverty and mm-hmm. what we've you yep. know, most people are one paycheck from being homeless or mm-hmm. um, impoverished essentially. Um, we we the same thing goes for mental illness, as far as I'm Mm -hmm. concerned. It's how, and that is why I think I don't, I try not to ever think of anybody as other, I mean, people are different, but Mm -hmm. nobody's less than I am or, you know, because I know that if I lose my job, I'm just like every other person who doesn't have a job. And I also am only, you know, one page, I only have enough bank account to, you know, support Mm -hmm. myself for a very short time. Um, And I think mental illness is the same way, you know, Mm -hmm. I, everything, all of those things, we are one slippery slope away from that same thing. And so to be negative toward some group of people I am not in any way would be completely incorrect because one day I could very well be those people. And Mm -hmm. I will not have appreciated the way I spoke to myself. Yeah.
2: No, you. absolutely. Yeah. I think that that's a control issue. So I, I think about this all the time is that we want so badly to be in control of ourselves, our bodies, our minds, and our destiny, that if you think, well, it can't happen to me, or I won't let happen to me, um, you feel this like false sense of confidence, really, that it, it can't be you, right? Um, and it, it doesn't doesn't quite make sense because, you know, people think, I write in the book all the different, different ways people, especially in workout culture, it's like, that that doesn't seem normal, but like they they think if I take care of my body, I won't get cancer or whatever it is. If I take care, if I, you know, lose my mind, that's on me, but it's not really like we're not, especially the mind. I think that's why it freaks people out so much too, because to know you're not truly in control of your own thoughts and your own mind scares people. Um, But all you have to do is look towards like memory, for instance everyone seems to accept we're not, we're not in control of that because when you start forgetting things naturally, or you're diagnosed with something like Alzheimer's, then uh, people seem to accept that pretty readily. But if your brain goes haywire in any other way, they, they are like, no, I need to be in control of this, but we're not. So I think, that, yeah. you're I think right. that drives a lot of, a lot of that whole, it won't happen to me thing. And going back to what Ren said, like, I didn't ever have that. It won't happen to me.
0: Yeah because I, I
2: didn't have the benefit of that. Like, there's no way, you know, I'm always like, it's going to be me. Like the doctors will say um, something about, well, only like 1% of people get the side effect. I'm like, just tell me what it is because it's gonna be. so, you know,
0: Well, and, and that's right. And that's the kind of, you know, but people, if we all this, but like we've had stigmas against cancer for so mm-hmm. long and it's like, oh my God, the big C and sure. that's right. a terrible thing to hear. Um mm-hmm. but then sometimes it does happen without a reason or a warning. You right. there's no reason why you should have had to battle cancer twice. There's nothing you did. There's no, you know, my mom had cancer when she was 47 mm-hmm. years old with no family history, perfectly healthy. Right. You know.
2: Yeah. It, we don't want to admit it, it's luck a lot of the time.
0: It just, yeah. It's just yeah, it's just a crap crap shoot right. and right. You hit And we fast. do we do
2: the hierarchy um with the those things too right we're like well you shouldn't have smoked that's why you have lung cancer okay i'm not sure that that matters right now like you know now you're in the boat with everybody I else so not yeah. right, I mean, right right but i think that i think that again because we want to we we live in a very you know bootstrap country yeah. i think that um we want att- to that control of everything and assign that blame for everything um because if you can't help yourself then what good are you
1: um that's a coping mechanism right yeah Which I, one? I hadn't really thought about that but like people want to place blame and this happened to you because of this thing you did mm-hmm. and so it probably won't happen to me because exactly. I exactly
0: yeah it is yeah. a lot easier than to you know listen that's always easier than self-reflection or just yes. admitting yes. sometimes stuff happens um because it does it mm-hmm. stuff just happens sometimes. There's really no. Sometimes people act in a way because of no real good reason. Sometimes, they right, act because of really no good reason. It just you know. But we do. We have this real sense of like needing control and you know. Yes.
2: Yeah. Needing- that, that illusion. Yeah. Um. You were talking about people acting in different ways. And as a side note, if you want to read about people, quote unquote, normal people, uh, who may or may not have mental illnesses that we don't really know. Who do and say some crazy things though, and yes, I say crazy things. Yes. Um, is there's a project, and it's been going on for like over 20 years now, called Post Secret, and Frank Warren started it. And uh, what happened was people sent in anonymous postcards with things that were weighing on their mind, or things they had done, and some of the missions and confessions are astounding, really. Um, but but they felt safe enough to anonymously submit these. So now there have been thousands and thousands. I think they've had exhibitions. Like it's very, and they they have published books of them too. Um, but it's it's the perfect example as of how nobody is normal. There isn't a normal. That is something that is completely created. And normal today was not normal 100 years ago, 200 years ago. It's not normal right now in a different country. Um, so it's it all contextual.
0: Normal. And maybe 20 years. Right.
2: Right. Exactly. It's all contextual. Um, yeah. We may need
1: to divorce ourselves from the value of normal.
0: I think we do too. I think we do too. Um, Yeah. I mean, they're right. Because you can't truly define it. It's just, yeah. uh,
2: I think healthy would be a better, a better thing to go towards, but that is going to have to be strictly identified and, and, uh, strictly identified again by like professionals, not, not just, my friend says this is unhealthy or,
0: you know,
1: not Rachel Hollis.
0: Well, I would like to say, you (laughs) know, yeah, mental real salty about Rachel Hollis right now. (laughs) He's on a hate. Um, every, you know, mental illness should be, um, dealt with and addressed with by a professional. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of people try to, um, sell, you know, in a way, like, you know, we, you were talking about self-medicating, you know, with like ibuprofen and everything. Some people try to self um, mental health themselves. And that's not, that doesn't usually work. Um, There's Mm -hmm. a reason why we are okay with mental health. Now we talk about Mm -hmm. it. That's why we have so many mental health professionals. Um, And it does need to really, you need to see a professional, talk to somebody who is qualified to be able to deal with whatever trauma is going on, whether it's, whether you think it's real or not, if you're acting in a way that maybe is not what you would consider quote unquote normal, right. And maybe something does need to be addressed and, you know, trying to talk about it with people who aren't qualified, isn't good. Trying to self-medicate even without actual medication, not good. Right. Right. And so, yeah, you know,
1: yeah, it's so hard. It's it so is. hard. Yeah.
0: And there's nothing wrong with it. So let's also be very clear. There's absolutely no, in this place, right. stigma with any kind of mental health um, struggle. We all do. We all have. And, you know, there's nothing taboo. This is over. Right. We need to all take, mm-hmm. reclaim it like we are feminism. Yeah. Reclaim, exactly. Like mental health and be okay with it. And, mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. I always tell people, um, I
2: always say everyone should see a therapist. Everyone. everyone. Because everyone has something going on that would be probably beneficial to get off their chest and discuss with a third party that's not involved a dis- in your life. A third party. That's yes, right. exactly. Um,
0: yeah. The, the, the disinterest there does help. It's somebody mm-hmm. who doesn't, isn't going to judge you because it doesn't matter. Like they don't really right. care um, other than you going out and being Okay, Um, And
2: exactly. And they're going to have that clearer picture logically of your situation instead of emotionally charged because they're not they're not invested in it. They're not, you know, player one. But I think, too, um, even for the people that are experiencing mental illness, I think so, one, it's just so hard, especially with depression. The last thing you want to do is go help. It's ironic, but that's just how it is. Um, and I think that ties back to like our perceived weaknesses and, and you're very vulnerable. Um, but I think understanding that there's not a silver bullet, because I think there have been times when people think, okay, I'll get on a, a drug and then I'll feel better. And if anything, you know, all the studies and re- research has shown that, um, it has to be in combination with talk therapy. Mm-hmm. Like it has to, it has to be both. Sometimes some people don't need both. You need one or the other very clearly, and that's fine. Um, but I think that just recognizing that there's no easy fix, right? No and that it does time. take, yeah, it takes time. It takes hard work. It takes, I mean, it's, it's like a routine of any other kind of gym routine or whatever it is you're working on in your life. You probably, it's not one and done, right? There are probably steps and rules and, and backsliding and all kinds of things. So
1: unfortunately you don't just work out the one time
2: (laughs) i know right you fixed me i'm great yeah you know, like i saw this great little cartoon online and it's like a stick figure and it's in the bed and he wakes up it's like you know and it's about depression he's like oh and then it said greet the day with or or he's like i'm so depressed and then the next day it says greet the day with enthusiasm he's like i'm so depressed (laughs) like you know so so yeah there's no uh it's just not a a switch so
0: And, it, and it's just okay. It's everything is okay. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, All
1: right. Well, I think we can start to wrap up. Is there, yeah. is there anything you would like to share with our, uh, people who listen? Um, I guess I was going to,
2: if, if it's okay, I was thinking of reading a small snippet out of my book. Absolutely. Do it. Okay. Awesome. I'm not gonna read that much. Cause again, it's a very short book, but, um, but this kind of ties into just the normalcy idea. Um, okay. So we've got, let me see here. I've got all my posted. its I'm sorry. <laughs>
0: posted away. I love it. Rin definitely loves it. Yeah, absolutely.
2: <laughs> okay. So, yeah. So again, these are just two separate parts about, you know, what does it mean to be normal and our perceived Uh, our perceived images of people and how they might look on the outside, Um, not just like physically look, but their whole lives and how together we think they have it. Um, So yeah, so I'll, I'll read these two little snippets here. Something dislodges in your chest and your mind begins to unspool. I am incredibly well adjusted, followed by laughter because it's true. Yet as a culture, we eat seaweed and charcoal and chlorophyll and grasshoppers. We plank and take pole dancing classes, do hoop engage in a fitness program ironically called insanity. We pay money to trap ourselves in a humid room, the likes of Florida and the dead of summer, to bend ourselves like pretzels and chant words we don't know the history of. We turn to cloning and cryogenic freezing, to shamans and deities, so many people running around trying to avoid death at any point people who never learn the meaning behind if you can't beat them join them we're just a subset i suppose and this other section here has this more specific example too everyone's got a pithy remedy when you're sick in the head the difference between recommending chicken soup for a cold and endlessly licking your wounds is people saying if only you'd only exercise, focus on the positive, keep a gratitude journal, go to church, eat better, sleep more, drink more water, work less, work harder, do community service, get involved, join a club, make a change, move, quit your job, break up, get an online dating profile, visit your family more, cut negative people out, cut carbs out, cut sugar out, make a vision board, take a class. As though we could will ourselves back into health, into happiness. As though if we just strive hard enough, then our whole life will come together and nothing bad can touch us. We'll feel okay about anything and instantly know how to cope. We'll see the grand design of it all, the painful utility behind the plan, why everything happens for a reason. Crying is unnatural. Screaming is unnatural. Meds are unnatural. Sleeping 12 plus hours a day out of the question. The problem is while we're running around tending each part of our lives, something is slipping further and further out of view and a different piece breaks. So we rushed to fix that, and in doing so, neglect ourselves and our emotions once again. It's an endless setup for failure. Clara, a neighbor who lived at the end of our cul de sac, did all these things. Her life was run like a Rockwellian vision of Americana, all the way down to the white picket fence. She had a career she loved and was both a PTA mom and a church leader. Clara went to the gym three times a week and routinely got mistaken for being a decade younger than she was. Even her blood pressure, height, and shoe size were average. She balanced her work responsibly, and day after day, she toiled for five years before receiving a promotion. She came home one day to her family, unlocking the door in the garage. Then remembered she left her lunchbox out in the car. She returned to the car, unlocked it, sat inside, sat inside started the engine, shut the door, and proceeded to fume herself out of this world. Her obituary, her obituary read, in part, that Clara Honore was a steady, dependable person. Those are just two sections that I think kind of highlight the the perceived normalcy and that we don't really know what's going on with
0: other is. people. And that, what I hear in that too is, you know, we, we try and we were talking about like being normal and getting acceptance. And so then we constantly are seeking um, some kind of either validation or advice from people and friends. And really it should be a mental health person, probably, or, you know, professional helping, through these things, because all of that stuff is not helpful, right? What I have right. to say to you is not helpful. You, you know, you need to find that and you probably need to find that with someone who can better direct you than I can. And,
2: mm-hmm.
0: you know, that's so much input. All of those things aren't going to make whatever's making you sad go mm-hmm. away. Right. And because we, it
2: works for one person. And all, all
0: well, and it, other, it, you know, and we to don't, help know suit it really it. Works. we just right. Right. make it, it's more like a
2: band-aid TV yeah
0: mm-hmm. and so you know i think that's awesome and tragic all it's also things. beautiful Be very but- <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, Thanks. you're a pleasure we are so glad that you took some time to talk to us today um you know thank really you. really appreciate the time thank you for writing this book i think it you know i i loved it i think it's great um you know, you're great. Thank you.
2: I really appreciate that. And it's been a lot of fun talking to you all. I think I'm glad the podcast exists. Um, I can't wait to go back and, and watch all the ones I've missed. Um, but yeah, thank you for everything that you guys are doing and bringing to light and having those like, difficult, but realistic and necessary conversations. So it's, it's been a lot of fun. I'm glad that you guys had me on. And did you know, fun fact, feminism isn't a bad word.
0: <laughs> <Look at> that. <laughs> plug that right there so yeah awesome Ideal. i'm Ideal. feeling terribly at that um so that was the best it's been in two years thank you okay oh,
2: <laughs> <laughs> next time we can do like a little cheer i'll have pom-poms and stuff. Yeah,
0: absolutely i don't either i've i've never
1: um so i will just let you all know you can find us at that other f word.com you can find us on facebook we will share ali's book on facebook you can find us on instagram uh ali is also on instagram lady literature correct yes, yes. um and you can find ali's book at warren publishing uh their website you can find it on amazon and at barnes noble
0: and she thank um you we have a website Allie coker so a-l-l-i-e-k-c-o-k-e-r.com um and so check out some ally stuff buy her book it's really cool it's a nice short read um but really cool a really cool read and so um yeah and thank you we have uh we'll put some of this information up also on our website that other awkward.com. well you can listen there too if for some reason you can't get on a podcast app i don't I don't know who, do, who can't anymore because even if I could figure it out, but it's fine. No judgment.
1: And you get $100 if you subscribe and rate and review, except not really $100. But
0: I'll send you, <laughs> if you send me your address, I'll send you some <laughs> hundreds. <laughs> dollars. The
2: Monopoly money. You give Monopoly money $100.
0: <laughs> Dollar Tree hundreds yeah yeah well, maybe <laughs> if, you, if you like and subscribe and then get other people to like and subscribe maybe there'll be a special prize for you, there you go. yeah yeah <laughs> you have to do it to find out <laughs> well ali thank you again and everybody thank you for listening and buy ali's book the last resort and uh just everybody be well and get and address your mental health problems <laughs> We all got him. Yep. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you, Allie. Bye.